when considering the many different enemies of a rich and abundant life, there's likely none greater than the word fear. This message is the first in the series, Fear Less. The message is entitled, Facing Your Fears. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets as we get ready to dive in to a new series of messages that I'm extremely excited about. And uh, I've actually been preparing for this series for quite a while now in my thoughts and prayers and, and preparation. And we're going to take a look at the theme of fearless. Not one word, but two words. Not fearless, but fearless. I really do believe that uh, this year, that God's design for 2016 for you and for the rest of your life actually is that you would begin to reduce the amount of fear in your life, that you would have less fear this year in 2016 than you had in 2015 and going forward in your life, you would see a lesser impact of fear. One of the worst enemies that you and I will ever face in life is the enemy of fear. In preparation for this series, I did a little bit of research on issues that we face in our nation regarding our own emotional well-being and psychological well-being as well as spiritual well-being. And I discovered that the number one reported psychological issue in America would be fear slash anxiety. Fear and anxiety. Number one issue in America. So many of us that struggle with that. And that's not a statement of condemnation. It's a statement of realization, actualization of what's going on in our world today. We live in a time of fear. There are lots of things to be afraid of if we wanted to focus on fear. But I do believe that God can make a difference in your life when it comes to fear. And He can replace the fear and allow you to live a life of faith. In fact, when you begin to study the Bible, you realize very quickly that all throughout Scripture, there's a phrase that you see over and over and over again. It is, fear not, or do not be afraid. Fear not, do not be afraid. I don't know how many hundreds of times you will find that phrase or something like it all throughout the pages of Scripture, but over and over again, the command from God Almighty to you and me is, do not be afraid. Let me give you just a sampling of those for a moment. Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10. So do not fear, God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, that is, which is the opposite of fear and anxiety, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John 14, 27, the words of Jesus, peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset and do not be afraid. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Isaiah 43 verse number 1, but now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus' words again, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand, so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. Mark chapter 6, verse number 50. Immediately he, Jesus, spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not or don't be afraid. 
And then a few last ones I'll share with you here. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 20, verse 22. Do not be afraid of them. That's the enemies that were surrounding Israel. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Revelation chapter 1, the latter part of verse 17. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't, don't be or do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And Mark chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. All of these verses are verses that point us to God's perspective of fear. And what you will see in these verses as well as through the series together is that God is an anti-fear God. God is against fear. God wants to drive it from your life. Now, there are certain fears that are reasonable and appropriate. Certainly our fear of God, our honor and respect of Him, our fear of being able to make good and wise decisions, those kind of things are valuable. But there's a certain kind of fear in life that God is against. God wants to drive it from your life. And I want to try to answer two questions today, two basic questions. Number one, why is God so anti-fear? Why is God against fear? And number two, what do we need to do? What steps can we start taking starting today that will help us to live a fearless, less fear in our lives kind of life? Let's start with the first question. Why is God so anti-fear? And the answer to that question is simple because fear robs your potential. Fear robs your potential. The first time that we see fear in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3. It happens after Adam and Eve sinned against God, and we find what happened in verse number 10. And their response, he, that's Adam, answered. God was looking for Adam, and Adam, uh, God is calling for Adam, and Adam answers and said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was, what was the word there? Afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Think about this for a moment. Prior to this time, there had been absolutely no fear, no fear at all in humanity. Adam and Eve had lived in this perfect environment of the Garden of Eden. They had no fear in their relationship with God and no fear in their relationship with one another, no fear of their environment, nothing that threatened them at all in their existence until they actually did what God told them not to do. As soon as they disobeyed God, then sin entered into the world and sin made the world a scarier place. And even today, the reason why we have so many reasons, so many experiences of fear in our life is because of the environment of sin. There's bad people in the world, right? And because there's bad people in the world, we, we have fears of them and so and fears of what can occur. Sin made the world a scarier place. But the thing that brought the fear in was disobedience to God. It made Adam and Eve vulnerable to the presence and the impact of fear. And what I want you to know today is that anytime fear shows up in your world, whatever your world is, your own life, the dimensions of your world, every time fear shows up, there's always some impact. It, doesn't, it never enters without making an impact. It always shows up and does something. For Adam and Eve, when fear entered, they ran and hid from God. There was an impact that occurred. And the same is true in your life and in my life. And until you understand the consequences of what fear is doing to you, you most likely will never do anything about it. We talked about that last week. Until you're fed up with an enemy, you probably will not go against that enemy. And so until you realize what fear is doing to you, you will probably never really address it. And I want you to see why God is so anti-fear. I'm going to give you ten reasons, ten negative impacts of fear in your life that, rob, that will rob your potential. Number one, fear dominates. To dominate literally means to rule over. It's to show up and take over, to dictate what happens in your life. Have you noticed that anytime fear shows up, you're thinking about a problem or dealing with something and suddenly there's this wave of fear that hits you and it just shows up and takes over. 
It just begins to dominate you and rule you, and it starts giving you orders in life. And so, again, it robs potential by dominating. Second of all, it paralyzes you and me. To paralyze means to stop, to make helpless, to cause inactivity or the inability to act. And fear actually paralyzes us. When you're trying to make a decision and you're afraid, that fear in you will paralyze you from making good decisions. When you need to make a commitment in your life and fear steps in, what happens is, is that fear paralyzes your capacity to make good commitments in life that are necessary. There are a lot of people that will not commit to basically anything because they're afraid of making a commitment, and that fear is actually paralyzing them. Thirdly, it will torment you. To torment means to afflict with suffering, mental suffering or, or bodily suffering. It throws you into commotion. And the Bible says that fear, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, fear has torment. Now, no one wants to be tormented, but many of us are tormented by the presence of fear. It, again, shows up, paralyzes, takes over, and starts torturing and tormenting you internally. Number four, it deceives. To deceive means to, to mislead by false appearance or a false statement. It's to delude you. It's to make something appear true when it's not. And that's what fear does. Fear shows up and tries to make something look like it's true when it's not true at all. Many, many years ago, I don't know how long ago and who actually is the, uh, is, the or, uh, is the author of this statement, but I believe it's very true. They said fear can be defined in the four letters of the word, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And that's many what, that's much of the time what fear is, false evidence appearing real. Why? Because fear deceives you. It lies to you. It creates an environment that is not even real. I was researching on this process, this idea of, of fear's effect on our life, and I discovered that one, one person did a study, or one group did a study, on, on how many of our fears actually become real in life, things that you fear or you worry about, how many of those things actually become reality. And so based upon uh, this study, about 85% of the things that you worry about or you're afraid of never, ever happen at all. Think about that. 85% of the things that you spend time worrying about never even happen. They're lying to you 85% of the time. And then out of that other 15% of the time, 79%, almost 80% of the people said, you know, that other 15% of the things that did come true, I discovered this. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And actually, I learned some good things from it, and I wouldn't trade the experience for the things that I learned. And so at the bottom line, the researchers said, really, in all reality, there's only about, about 3% of things that you're going to ever fear that you'll ever have to deal with in life. And so about 97% of your fears will never, ever either come to pass or be as bad as you think they are. Isn't that incredible to, think, to, to just imagine today? 97% of the things that you spend your time worrying about are things that are not worth worrying about because they're not even going to affect your life in an adverse way at all. And that leads me to my fifth thing, fear wastes your life. It consumes, it spends, it employs things uselessly. Look back over your life and think with me for a moment. How much time have you wasted worrying? How many hours? How many days? How many months? How many years of your life have actually been wasted by worry? 
How much of your energy has been dissipated by worry? How many of your resources have been wasted by worry? How many areas of your life have you become less productive because you were spending so much energy worrying in fear that you could not put that energy to the productive dimensions of life? It wastes your life. It weakens. Number six, it weakens your life. It makes you much more vulnerable. In fact, the, bio, the, the research says that when you are engaged in a stress, in a, in a fearful life, it stresses you, even in your immune system, so you become more, more vulnerable to certain diseases and certain infections and those kinds of things. In fact, one study I read said that fear inside of you left for a long and extended period of time can actually cause your brain to shrink. I, I don't have enough brain to let any of my shrink. How about you? Amen? Okay. I need to hold on to every bit I've got. All that real estate needs to be mine. I need it all. But fear eats away and it shrinks you. It makes you, actually, you could say it this way, it makes you a smaller person, doesn't it? Seven, it clouds you, obscures things, it darkens things. What, when fear comes in, it's like this dark cloud that shows up in your world. And you begin to think irrationally. You just stop even thinking logically and rationally. You start reacting to things out of the emotion that's there. Number eight, it fatigues you, wears you out. The reason this is the case is because when fear shows up, there's a bodily reaction in your adrenaline system that uh, puts you in what most of you are familiar with is the fight or flight mode. Have you all heard that phrase before, fight or flight? So I'm in this riled up state. Fear has uh, agitated me. It's got my adrenaline flowing in my system. And so either I'm going to fight, okay, or I'm going to flight. I'm going to do one or the other. And so that's what it does to you. When that occurs, as that adrenaline runs through your system, it hypes up everything in you. And then once the adrenaline is gone, you're absolutely depleted. You're, you're worn out. The adrenaline rush has given you a, an energy boost, but it also depletes you f- following that. And an- another aspect of that is when you're in the fight or flight mode, you're trying to you go into control mode. How can I control stuff around me so that I'm not threatened any longer? And the problem with control mode is that you can't control lots of things. And so when you're trying to control lots of things, you've got all this adrenaline pumping through your system. You're going to be depleted. You, when you can't, when you're trying to control something you can't control, that takes a lot of energy amen number number nine it hijacks you it just comes in and sort of like hijackers that jump on a plane they begin to take it where it needs to go and that where they want it to go i should say and that leads number 10 it alters the course of your life i want you to think about your life just for a moment all the decisions that you made in life we've all made lots of decisions where we are in our life today and how many of you would admit we're just going to do a a check Make sure you're all on the same page this morning. How many of you would admit that some of the decisions that you made in your life, you made out of fear? Just my hand goes up on that, okay? As I've told you before, if your hand's not up, you have another problem, okay? It's called lying, okay? (laughs) Everybody has made decisions in life out of fear, okay? And what that means is this. It means that fear showed up, as I've talked about, it hijacked you. It resulted in you making making decisions that actually altered the course of your life that changed the course of your life, that got you on a pathway that you really should never have been on. Do you see all the things that fear does to you? Do you understand why God is so anti-fear? It robs your potential. And what I hope will happen to you in this series, and I hope it will start today, is I hope that something inside of you will begin to rise up and say, no more. 
I'm not going to let this bully called fear continue to do these things in my life. There's a righteous indignation and a deep commitment to say, I'm going to go after fear with great commitment and great intensity and great passion. Now, the second question that we asked today, and I'm going to answer for you uh, to, to some degree, we don't have time to cover every aspect of this, is the question... Well, how do we get started dealing with it? We realize it's bad, okay? You probably didn't even need me to tell you this morning how bad fear is, but I did it anyway, okay? You know it's bad. God's anti-fear. So we know it's bad, so how do we get started? And, and getting started against fear really starts with an understanding of something that has to be deep in us, and that's the second statement on your notes today, and that's that fear can be confronted and conquered. See, if we don't believe that fear can be confronted and conquered in life, we'll never go after it. So I want to help you to begin to realize today that fear can be confronted and it can be conquered in your life. You can overcome fear. Amen? You can. The Bible teaches us. Now, I'm going to do something, as I mentioned last night in my message, and just it was just sort of hit me as I was preparing again this week, just the, the way last weekend's message really is dovetailing in with this weekend's message, and I didn't plan it that, that way. I actually developed last weekend's message uh, completely without the context in, before me of this, this series. Uh, and by the way, if you missed last weekend's message, I would really encourage you to hear it. It's online, free of charge. Just go and download it at church-redeemer.org or pick up a copy of the CD out in the lobby. I talked about determination. But I talked, as a part of my message last weekend, I talked about the story of David and Goliath. You guys remember me talking about David and Goliath? And I did a really good job talking about that story. I, mean, I really enjoyed it, okay? No boasting at all. Just, I, you know, it's, I just, it was a great story. I love that story, okay? And, and, but I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done before, as, as, I, as I can recall, unless I was in a series related to David or something. But I'm going to talk about the very same story this weekend that I talked about last weekend. I think David deserves two weekends, don't you think so? I think David deserves at least two weekends out of our 52 this year. And so I want to bring you back to that story just for a moment and remind you of this conflict between David and Goliath. And I want you to think about Goliath being fear. So anytime that I mention Goliath or I mention the Philistines as a part of this story, I want you to replace Goliath or Philistines with what word? Fear, okay? So we're going to use that as our, as our metaphor, as our typology in, our, in, our, in our, this part of our message today. You know the story. The Philistines showed up to battle the Israelites and their method of conflict was they were putting a giant out and challenging one of the Israelite soldiers to fight the giant and it was sort of winner-take-all. Whoever won the battle uh, actually won the war at that point. And Goliath would come out and intimidated the armies of Israel, and no one wanted to fight him until one day uh, this young boy, young man, I should say, David, comes on the scene. He was not even a soldier. He was sent there by his father to deliver some food to his brothers and to find out how his brothers were doing who were in the military. And so Jesse, his father, had sent him to the army of Israel to, to discover these things and make this delivery. And he sees what's going on, and he watches this giant intimidating the armies of Israel, okay? And he, he realized that th this is not how things should be. And he's watching all these soldiers who are intimidated by the, the, the bigness of Goliath, okay? And by his words, he was a mouthy giant. He was, a, he was just a big, uh, bombastic bully is really what he was, okay? And so he's watching this, and he's like, this, 
this something's wrong with this picture. Everybody's looking at Goliath, this big Goliath, but doesn't anybody see the greatness of God? Doesn't anybody see how great God is? And so this is what motivated David to say, I'm, I'm going to go and fight this, this, this giant. And I want you to listen to what David said. I'm going to read some passages that I did not read for you last weekend, but I want to read them for you today. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 20, verse 26, latter part of verse 26. When he looks at the situation, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, let's break this apart for a moment. David looks and says, Who is this? What was the phrase there? Come on, help me out. What was it? Uncircumcised Philistine. And that was not a, just a statement about the physical dimension of Goliath. It was a statement about the lack of a covenant with God. See, circumcision was the mark of covenant with God. So David looks at this giant and says, this giant has no relationship to God. Okay? This giant is not God's will. This giant is outside of the realm of what should be included in the covenant of God. You know that when you come to faith in Christ, you enter into the new covenant. Isn't that good to know? And in that new covenant, there are blessings that go with the covenant. And so when you're a covenanted person, and the Bible says in the New Testament, we're not circumcised with outward circumcision. That's not something that, that qualifies us spiritually. But there's an inner circumcision of the heart that God cuts away the flesh of the heart. We become a new covenant person. We belong in the new covenant where there are certain privileges and blessings that go with being a part of God's new covenant. So David looks at Goliath and says, this giant is not in the covenant. This giant should not be what covenant people experience. You with me? Amen? Okay. Covenant people shouldn't be dealing with an uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then now David goes toward Goliath and says this. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the car of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a, and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck, struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. I call that victory. How about, how about you? Amen? That's the turning of a tide, okay? With one stone, David brought an end to the intimidation of Goliath. With one stone, David secured Israel's future. With one stone, David set in motion God's plan for his own life. 
So you read this story, you realize that this was the moment that David comes to the attention of the people of Israel. It was at this moment after this victory that the the maidens around Israel started singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And everybody knew that David was going to be the next king. At least many people did. It was a moment that determined his destiny. Why? Because he stood up against a giant. He stood up against a Goliath. This one moment changed history. I wrote something in my notes that I want to read aloud to you today. And I want you hear it, to hear it directly the way that I wrote it because this is a very important statement. If you will hear it with your heart and apply it, I believe some, a major change can start in your life. Your moment, whatever that moment is, and I hope it will be today, your moment, the day that you stand up to the Goliath called fear in your life is the day your future will be secured and your future will be released in a new way. I hope you get the impact of that statement. Let me read it once again. Your moment, the day you stand up to the Goliath called fear in your life is the day your future will be secured and released in a new way. I believe that. But you've got to take a stand. You've got to face the enemy. You've got to have a battle plan. So I want to wrap up over the next few moments by giving you a very simple battle plan. How do you and I begin the process of standing against fear? How many of you want to overcome fear in your life? Amen, I do, okay. So here's our step to, here's where we begin. Number one, I'm going to actually use uh, the acronym for FACE, F-A-C-E, because you have to face down your fears. That's the only way to overcome them. You have to face them down. And so you're going to see an acronym there, F-A-C-E, F-FAITH, faith in God's word and God's character. You've got to know. If you're going to go against a giant called fear, you've got to know who God is. Did David know who God was? Yes. You've got to know who God is. And you've got to believe in the Bible, what the Bible says about God. Do you believe what the Bible says about God? He is almighty. He is powerful. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've got, you have to also know and understand not only who God is, but who you are in God. Because if you don't know who you are in God, you will will shrink back in the battle. This is where it all begins, that you start with faith. I believe in God. Say it with me. I believe in God. I believe in God's power. Say that with me. I believe in God's power. That's your beginning point. You need to become a believer. Now you say, well, I'm a believer. Well, yes, you accepted Jesus in your life, but are you practicing faith? Does your lifestyle reveal faith or does your lifestyle reveal fear? I don't know. You have to answer that question for yourself. But this way you live and the way you think, does it reveal faith or does it reveal fear? And so you begin to move that toward faith. I believe in God and I believe in his power revealed most importantly in his son Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. That's the, that's the culmination of what power, the power of God is all about. Death and hell and the grave cannot withstand even the very power of God. Number two, you have to have an awareness of God's promises. You have to be aware of the promises of God. I'll tell you why. Because once you know who God is, that's your confidence. I know who God is. I know who I am in God. Now I need to go against this giant called fear, but what do I use? Well, your, your, your artillery and your ammunition is the word of God. Okay? You, you got to get this too. Okay? It's the word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he use against the adversary? It is 
written, it is written, it is written. See, the devil is never impressed with your words. Fear is not going to run when you say boo. Fear is not going to depart from your life just by what you say. You've got to have something much more authoritative than what you say. You have to have what God says, okay? Because it's God's, what God says that is used against the adversary. Uh, we prepared this weekend, actually for you, a gift that I want you to reach down to the left-hand side of the aisle. There's a purple bag there for you. And we wanted to give you a start, a head start on becoming aware of the promises of God. What does God say about fear? And so if you'll reach in the bag and grab this little, uh, this little gift for you. On the front it says, fear less life. God promises for pro- God's promises for a fear less life. Pass it on down the aisle. And uh, once it gets to the right-hand side of the aisle, you simply sit it on the floor there, and uh, uh, the ushers will take care of that after service today. Uh, as you're doing it, just listen. It, can you pass the bag and listen at the same time? Can you? That's awesome. You guys are very talented. Excellent. This is, these 20 promises, I could have, this is a sampling, okay, that we could have had hundreds of them. I just didn't have time or space. You can search them on your own, but these are just these are just simply 20 promises from God, and I want you to become familiar with them. Let me tell you one thing you could probably do with this if you set your mind to it. You could probably memorize these. You know, you could probably memorize you believe that you could memorize 20 scriptures? You could. And how wonderful that would be, but this this will give you something of ammunition against the adversary when he comes against you with fear, when that giant shows up. Remember what David said, David said, I'm not coming against you with sword or spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. So he brought something of authority. So this is a great little start for you. This is not complete, but it's something that will get you started. The next one, C, stands for commitment to God's conditions. If you want to face down fear, you have to, you've got to be committed to the conditions of God. You can't live in disobedience and expect to have power. Let me really emphasize this. What allowed fear into the world initially? Disobedience, right? Sin, right? Sin allowed fear to have place. When you and I are living consciously in sin and disobedience against God, that we know what God says is right and we refuse to do it, what we're doing is we are making ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of adversaries. We're making ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of things. And so if you want to experience the power of God in your life, you need to make the choice to live in obedience to God in your life. That means that I'm going to choose to do what God says to do. If God says, do this, then my answer is, yes, sir. Okay? My answer is, yes, I'm going to live this way with my life. Why? Because that's what gives you the authority, along with the Word of God, to stand against the adversary. You can't stand with confidence against the adversary if you're confident compromising in your spiritual journey. You've got to be the real deal Christian. I'm not saying that you're perfect in every way, but when you do mess up, you run right back to God and get back in the stream with Him again. You don't allow yourself to drift from God and live in disobedience because you're, you're going to open yourself to all kinds of things. And what I've learned in my study of the Bible is that many of the promises of God, not all of them, but I would say a far significant uh, percentage of them, Perhaps as much as 85-90% of the promises of God in the Bible have a condition associated with them. God says, if you will do this, then I will do that. But He always gives us the choice, if you will do this. And so, here's the equation I have learned to live by. 
Obedience leads to blessing. Partial obedience leads to partial blessings. And no obedience leads to no blessing. So you want a life of blessing. You're not going to live in obedience. And the last thing I will mention here today is you have to learn to engage. E, engage. There's engagement with the enemy. You have to take those promises of God and actively run against them. David went face to face, toe to toe, mano a mano with Goliath. The Bible says that what he did when he was approaching Goliath, he didn't run away. What did he do? We read it a moment. He ran toward the enemy. And so what you do, just, just track with me for a moment. We'll be done. You say, okay, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to deal with this thing. I'm fed up with the enemy robbing potential of my life with fear, so I'm ready to start facing it, dealing with it. So fear comes your way. Some kind of fear comes your way. The first thing, you start with faith, right? Not unbelief, but belief, faith. God is able to help me with this. I'm living for a God that's powerful, mighty. I know who I am in God, okay? And then I'm going to know what are the promises? What's my artillery? What's available to me to use against this fear? Maybe it's a fear related to your finances or a fear related to other areas we'll be talking about. By the way, next weekend, don't miss it. I'm going to talk about the number one fear in the lives of every human being, at least most human being, is the fear of rejection. I'm going to talk about how to overcome the fear of rejection. You don't have to have a more secure life in your relationship with God. But you said, now what are the promises of God associated with this? Get the promise. I've got my guns, right? I've got my artillery, okay? See, okay, is there anything I need to repent of? Is my living in compromise? Do I need to get right with God? I need to make sure I'm following the promise, uh, following the conditions, obeying God, living in right relationship with Him. If not, I'm going to get in right relationship with Him right now. I'm going to start living for Him now. I'm going to fulfill the conditions that He's given to me. And then now I'm going to engage. And you take the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with your shield of faith, and boy, would I love to talk about that today, but I don't have time, okay? And you don't run away from your fears. What do you do? You run toward them in the name of Jesus. And you say, I don't care if you're coming against me with sword, spear, javelin. I come against you, fear, in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And this day, the birds are going to be eating your carcass. Amen? And there's something in you that rises and runs toward the engagement of the adversary in the name of Jesus, the authority of his word, that changes the whole course of the battle for the better for you and for me. God is anti-fear. Why? It robs your potential. And God says now it's time to rise and understand that fear can be confronted and fear can be conquered. What will you do? Will you let fear continue to rob your life or will you take a stand today and say, you know what? I'm going to learn how to be a soldier in this war against fear. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and lives. I pray you'll take this message and, Lord, let it have real depth in us. May it challenge us, change us, encourage us, instruct us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now 
that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.